Well, those of you who were here the last two weeks, are you guys having fun yet? Uh, for those of you who haven't been, whew, welcome. Uh, welcome to part three of this series that we've called Polarized. Maybe more than any time in history, we're living in a polarized world where people are being divided into opposing camps against one another. And everyone, including you, has some doctrinal, theological, spiritual, moral, uh, social, political, sexual, ideological positions that they, that you, deeply believe are true and are right. And maybe more than ever before, we're living in a world where everyone is taking their stand by their right positions. The approach you and everyone is naturally inclined to take and in many times feels forced to take is to take our stand over here by our position away from those people, away from those people we disagree with and disagree with us, away from those people who behave and believe and think differently, away from those people who in your, your estimation are wrong. And everyone's talking at each other, everyone's fighting, everyone's yelling, nobody's listening to anyone, and everyone's concluding unless you believe and behave and think like me, unless you agree with my right position, then we, me and you, we're against one another. And it's doing nothing but creating hostility and anger, resentment, bitterness, tension, division within our country, within our communities, within our families, within the church. And the reality is there's so many issues that are creating polarization in our world, in our country today. But as I thought and as I prayed about what's causing division within the church today, four issues just kept coming to my mind over and over and over again. And those four are sex, gender identity, abortion, and drugs and alcohol. And tr these are not the only four, but to some degree or another, all four causing division between followers of Christ and between the church and unchurched people. People outside the church would say they're not part of the church. People would not call themselves followers of Christ. And it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way, even if and when we disagree. So throughout this series, I'm addressing each of these four polarizing issues. Last week, we looked at the first one, sex, specifically sexual immorality, and today we're focusing in on gender identity. This should be a great time. Uh, but before I jump into this issue, I want to quickly review my three primary goals because it's so, for this series because it's so important to remember these three as we navigate the, this polarizing issue today. My first primary goal for this series is to discover biblical, truths, biblical truth around each of these four issues. I just want to quickly reiterate a couple things that we talked uh, about before um, that I just want to say before we jump into gender identity today. First, this is not a political series. This is a biblical series. I'm not here. I'm never here. <laughs> but especially during this series, I'm not here to push or promote any political agenda, policy, or party. I'm here to point us to Jesus and to the truths God revealed through the writers of Scripture. If you're a follower of Christ, if you say you're a follower of Christ, your and my primary concern should not be how the government defines gender or constructs laws around it. Our primary concern as followers of Christ should be to discover biblical truth and live our lives in a way that glorifies God. Second, just so you know, I'm not so arrogant to say I have God all figured out. But I'm doing the best job I can to communicate what I believe to be biblical truth and God's heart on, on, on these issues and particularly this issue. And listen, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. But you may be too. And today, if you disagree with me, on how I define biblical truth, or you don't care about biblical truth, that's okay. You don't answer to me, 
And I don't answer to you, but we do all answer to God. Third thing, just want to reiterate, is that I only have 30 minutes, which means I can't go to every verse, I can't ever answer every question there is, I can't talk into every situation or every person where every single person is at. Uh, And so, listen, there's a lot of things I'm not going to say, so don't come up to me afterwards and be like, you should have said, you should have went to, listen, if you think it's so easy, then you should get up here and do this, all right? This is not, this is not easy, all right? My second primary goal for this series is surrender, and I just... Once again, I want to be very clear. According to the writers of Scripture, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus by asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life alone. Which means none of these issues in and of themselves affect our salvation. But how we choose to respond to them or not respond to them does affect our transformation, does affect us being more sanctified into the image of Christ. And listen, God wants to transform you more into everything he's created you to be. And the transforming work that only God can do in us requires one huge thing from us, and that huge thing is surrender. So my prayer is that as I address this polarizing issue today, that we all, regardless of where we're at on our spiritual journey, we all all surrender to however Jesus prompts and convicts and inspires and invites us to follow him because transformation happens by following Jesus one next step at a time. Now my last and maybe most important goal for this series is unity. Jesus won, and he only had one. Jesus won new covenant command, to his followers, to his church, was that we were to love one another just as he first loved us. And he made it very clear that by that one thing, we demonstrate and authenticate that we're truly truly his followers. My prayer today is not that we agree on everything. My prayer is that we're more committed to loving one another just as Christ first loved us, even when and if we disagree. And that's my prayer because God cannot be glorified when the church is polarized. God's created will for you and for me is to glorify him. And that's the, that's, that's the ultimate purpose of our lives. That's the ultimate purpose of his church. God cannot be glorified, glorified when followers of Christ, when Jesus' church is polarized from each other or from people who don't know him. Because we're called to love one another just as he first loved us. And listen, I know that some of you are going to completely disagree with what I say today. And if that's you, I just want to say a couple things to you. First, I am so glad you're here. Secondly, if you missed part one of this series, please go back and watch it. Because that kind of sets the tone for the whole series. And if you don't listen to part one, you don't understand my heart, my intention, or my desire for this series. Finally is, you don't have to leave or disengage from relevant even if you disagree, and I hope you don't. Listen, we don't want to be stand against one another. We want to stand in the messy middle with one another, in relationship with one another. So irrelevant, you need to know you can come just as you are. You don't have to hide anything or fake anything. You can belong before you believe, even if you never believe. You will be loved here, and our prayer is that you find hope and healing and community here. All right. On to our issue for the day. What you need to know is that the issue of gender identity, it's not a new thing. It's been around for thousands of years, but it's become extraordinarily polarizing in the recent years. And what's polarized people, what's divided people, what's put people against one another are the terms sex and gender. Now, prior to the 1970s, just 50 years ago, 
Sex and gender meant the exact same thing. Since since then, they'd come to mean very different things to many different people. Up to 50 years ago, sex and gender were both used to refer to physical and biological dimensions of being male and female. The term gender, though, the term gender is now used in many, many different ways. Here's the four most common ways it's used today. Gender identity, which is the gender a person uh, identifies or experiences life as. Gender expression, which is the masculine, feminine, or other ways in which a person expresses themselves. Third, gender role, which is how a person relates to and adopts cultural expectations of male and femaleness. And fourth, biological sex. For many, the term uh, gender still means a person's biological sex. Up to 50 years ago, Gender was used synonymously with biological sex, but now many people use gender to describe their own internal sense of themselves or how they express themselves, clothing, mannerisms, interests, things like that, or cultural expectations for what it means to be a man or a woman. Bottom line, many people no longer believe that gender is synonymous with biological sex, but is instead fluid and exists on a spectrum which has created an enormous amount of terms for how people describe or identify themselves. Terms like transgender, genderqueer, genderfluid, non-binary, pangender, gender non-conforming, trans-trending. Uh, and then we have medical con- terms and conditions like gender dysphoria, intersex, autogenophilia, just to name a few. Now, this is not a small thing with a few people. This is an enormously big thing. Recent studies show that somewhere between 12 to 15% of millennials and Gen Z identify as transgender or gender nonconforming. And 50% of millennials and 60% of Gen Z believe that gender is non-binary and is fluid and exists on a spectrum based how a person feels. And you already know that this has created an enormous amount of polarization within our country, within families, within communities, within schools, within sports, within churches. And when you throw pronouns into the mix, holy cow, the divisiveness just grows. I can't possibly speak into all this today. So here's what we're going to do today. Today, I'm going to attempt to answer two questions based on what I believe to be truth that God has communicated through the writers of Scripture. The first question is, are male and female the only two sexes? And the second question is, can someone be a gender different from their biological sex? Now, to begin answering these questions, I, first, I, I want to I first go to, the, I wanna go to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and look at the first five words of our Bible because they set the tone for everything from that point forward. And here they are. In the beginning, stop right there, which means before you, before me, before everything, and by the way, everything that has a beginning has a creator and a cause. Not everything has a beginning, so not everything has a creator and a cause, but everything that has a beginning has a creator and a cause. In the beginning, God, not God's, but one eternal, almighty, sovereign, holy, perfect God. Oh, and one more thing, the final word. In the beginning, God created. This one true eternal God, according to the writers of Scripture, is the creator. And as creator, holy, almighty God, he has a created will, desire, and intent for his created. And herein lies the problem. We... The created are tempted to try to trade places with the creator by creating our own truth 
and putting our will, our desires, our wants at the center. And every time we do, we exchange the truths of God for lies. If creator, holy, almighty God exists, which I obviously believe that he does, he defines what is true. He defines what is good. We, the created, should look to him alone for truth, for our worth and our purpose and our identity. Now, in the verses that follow, in Genesis 1, the writer of Genesis described what God created over the next six days, and we read that on the sixth day, he reached the climax of his creation when he creates human beings. And here's how the writer of Genesis described it. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, there are a few important observations to take note of in order to answer here, in order to answer the questions that we're attempting to answer today. The first observation is that according to the writer of Genesis, holy God is the creator of humanity, and he originally created us in his perfect holy image. The second observation is that sex difference, the difference between male and female, is woven into the fabric of God's diverse creation. In Genesis 1, there is a beautiful display of creational differences coming together in perfect harmony and complementing each other in perfect unity. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the land and the sea. He created evening and morning. He created day and night. And instead of these differences creating chaos, God orchestrated them to sing together in perfect harmony and proclaim the glory of, of, of the creator. And then the creation of humanity as the pinnacle of his creation also participates in the stunning display of uni unity amid diversity, amid difference. God created sexually different creatures, male and female. Third observation here is that sex difference is part of what it means to reflect God's image. God could have created sexless humanity to reflect his image, but he chose to create humans as sexed beings, male and female. Fourth observation is that sex difference is defined by the respective roles that male and females play in reproduction. In verse 28, we read, God blessed them, both male and female. And said to them, and this is then the first thing that God instructed humanity. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And the final observation from this is that humanity's sexed identities as male and female are embodied and is a necessary and beautiful part of being created in God's image and is something that God deems as very good in verse 31. In embodied uh, sex difference is actually highlighted again in Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is kind of a general summary of what God created. Genesis 2 describes in more detail how God created humanity. In Genesis 2, the writer of Genesis tells us that after God created the first man, whom he later names Adam, he then created the first woman, whom he later names Eve. And right before God created the first woman, right before God created Eve, he said this. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And remember, we looked at this verse last week. See, God described the woman he was about to create not only as a helper to Adam, but also as suitable. And remember, I was talking about this last week. The Hebrew word, the Hebrew is the original language that the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, were written in. The Hebrew word translated suitable here is the word konegdo. 
And konegdo is a very difficult word to translate to English since it's a compound word made up of ke, which means like, similar, sameness, and neged, which means opposite, dissimilar, different. It's a combination of two different Hebrew words that express both sameness and difference. Together, the word means, konegdo means something like as opposite or like against. What made Eve like Adam was that she was equally human. What made her different was that she was female, unlike Adam. In other words, Konegdo highlights God's cre- that highlights God created man and woman to be both equally human and differently sexed. Now, in verse 23 of chapter 2, we see Adam. He celebrated Eve's similarity, her humanness. He celebrated her dissimilarity, her femaleness, and their sex embodiment when he said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. What's implied in Genesis 2 is that man and woman are both divine image bearers of God and are both sacred creatures that reflect holy God's image partly through their embodied sex difference. Now, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 provides us with a foundational picture of creator God's created design, desire, will, and intent for humanity. And from Genesis 1 and 2, you easily can draw this conclusion, that God created two biological sexes of male and female and does not separate sex from gender. The question is, is does the rest of Scripture reinforce this? Do we see any evidence throughout Scripture that a person's identity as male and female can be separated from their biological sex? Specifically, according to what Holy Creator God has communicated through the writers of Scripture, can someone's gender be different from their biological sex? Well, throughout the rest of Scripture, here's what I see. First is, whenever sex and gender are mentioned... The writers of Scripture always affirm the creation narrative of Genesis 1 and 2. The second thing I see is that there are no other sexes or gender identities mentioned in Scripture other than male and female. The third thing I see is that God's created intent is for humans to identify as male and female and that one sex body is an essential part of this identity. I do not see any evidence in Scripture that male and female identities can be discerned without reference to the body. I also see very few specific guidelines from the writers of Scripture on what exactly that looks like as far as expression and that many of our modern assumptions and stereotypes that we have are just not in Scripture. The fourth thing I see is that the sexed body is an integral means through which we glorify God and reflect His image. And finally, what I see is that the writers of Scripture do not allow for and in few places explicitly prohibit people identifying as a gender that's different from their biological sex. So, going back to our two questions. Question one, are male and female the only two sexes? Well, according to the writers of Scripture, the answer would be yes. God only created two biological sexes. Second question, can someone be a gender different from their biological sex? According to the writers of Scripture, no, because Holy Creator God does not separate sex from gender. He created 
his created design, desire, will, and intent is for humans to identify as male and female. And one sexed body is an essential part of this identity. And what that means is that a person can think and feel and live like they're a different gender from their biological sex. But according to creator God, they're not. Bottom line. God created the two biological sexes of male and female and does not separate sex from gender. That's what I believe to be truth according to holy creator Almighty God that he has communicated through the writers of scripture. Now, as I said earlier, the issue of gender identity, it's not a new thing. You see in both scripture and in just regular literature, extra biblical literature, that people have struggled feeling like they're a different gender from their biological sex for thousands of years. Which may leave you asking the question, why would people feel like this if it was not God's created design and intent and will for them to? Or, some of you are asking this on a much more personal level. Why would I feel like this if it was not creator God's design and intent and will for me to? And I don't have a perfect answer. But I definitely, it's, I definitely believe it's in part because of what happened in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, what we now call the fall occurred. In Genesis 1, we saw God created humanity in his perfect and holy image. And we did bear holy God's image like he created us to until sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's choice to sin. Adam and Eve's choice to sin was a direct violation against holy creator God, a direct violation against his created intent for humanity, which is to be holy how he is holy, and a direct violation against his created will for humanity, which is to glorify him. And here's how the Apostle Paul described what happened to all humanity when what we now call the fall of humanity occurred. Paul wrote this in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, who represented everyone who would follow, every human who would follow, you and me. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this, and in this way death came to all people, because all have sinned. Paul is trying to say a few things. Paul is saying a few things here that are very hard for us to hear, but that we must accept if we're ever fully able to understand ourselves. And the first thing he is saying is, we don't become sinful because we sin. We sin because we're sinful. At the fall, sin distorted who we are and who God created us to be from that point forward. We no longer bear God's perfect and holy image like he originally designed and created us to. We are now born with fallen, sinful natures. And our sin nature has affected our bodies, our mind, our will, and our souls. Our sin nature makes us desire what is not of God. Our sin nature makes us rebel against God's created design and will and intent for us. Our sin nature is the reason for immorality, for hatred, for prejudice, for murder. Our sin nature is the reason people get sick, people lie, people hate, people are greedy, people are are prideful, and people physically die. The second thing Paul is saying is sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. 
Ultimately, sin makes us dead because sin, it broke our relationship with holy creator God in this life and in the next. This is why our heavenly father sent Jesus to be our savior. This is what we need saved from and forgiven for. This is why Jesus died on the cross in our place to pay for the penalty of our sin. This is why every person needs Jesus. This is why I need Jesus. This is why you need Jesus. And I hear all the time from people who struggle with gender identity, I hear the phrase, God made me this way. And listen, just hang with me. I immediately think, no, he originally did not. He created you special. And he created you unique. And he loves you so much. But you and I are not born in his perfect holy image like he originally designed us to be. Because we're all now born with a fallen broken, sinful nature. And that's another reason we all need Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to save us for someday. He didn't just come to save us for someday, for heaven. Jesus rose from the grave so that he could transform us more into who God created us to be today. And so listen, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you need to know. God loves you. He loves you. He proved that by sending Jesus for you. And to accept his love and his forgiveness and his mercy and his salvation and for his redemption for you just requires that you put your faith in Jesus, asking Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, your Savior, and the leader of your life, your Lord, your God. And there's never any pressure to do that here. But let me tell you, if you feel that stirring... If you feel that prompting, like, ah, oh, I just feel like I should do that today before we walk out of here, I'm going to give you an opportunity to. Now, if, if this is all true, I obviously believe that it is, or I wouldn't be saying it. If this is all true, what does it mean for those of you who struggle with gender identity? And the answer is, that I don't have a perfect answer. But I believe God put a few things on my heart that he wanted me to share with you today. But before I share these couple of things, we all need to realize that because gender identity has become such a widespread social contagion, it has minimized, it's made us forget, and it's discounted the fact that there are very real people who are struggling with the very real medical condition of gender dysphoria. Studies show that somewhere between 0.005% and 0.014% of people experience true gender dysphoria. It's a very small percentage of people. But those who experience it feel the very real pain, struggle, fear, and confusion that accompanies it. If you're someone who has true gender dysphoria, my heart breaks for you. I cannot imagine walking in your shoes. The pain and confusion you feel should never be minimized. 
all I know to say is that God loves you and we do too. I and we are here to walk with you as you navigate this extremely hard journey. And I also know that everything I'm about ready to say means something very different for you. For those of you who don't truly have gender dysphoria, but you've made gender identity into some social, political, or how I feel today issue, all you're doing is disregarding and disrespecting the very real pain and struggle that people who truly have gender dysphoria are experiencing every single day of their lives. So for the love of God, stop. For those of you who have struggled or are struggling with gender identity, whether you call yourself a follower of Christ or not, I want you to know, you don't have to hide anything here. You don't have to fake anything here. Come as you are. You don't have to leave. You don't have to disengage. You can belong here and be loved here. For those of you who call yourself a follower of Christ and who struggle with gender identity, here's what the Apostle Paul says is true about you and about me as followers of Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And what that means is the moment that, that you and I, the moment you put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your heart and the leader of your life, God's spirit, referred to as the Holy Spirit, took residence within you. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, God's spirit took residence within you. And at that moment, he transformed your eternity and your identity. The old is gone doesn't mean we still doesn't mean we don't struggle anymore because we will because we have a still have a sin nature. It means that we're a new creation and that our identity is that our identity is now founded and grounded in Christ and who he says we now are. And who he says we now are is redeemed and forgiven and saved and loved and that we are a son and daughter of the living God and he wants to transform you more into everything that he has created you to be. He wants to sanctify you more into the image of Christ. And transformation, it's a work that only God can do. But we have a part to play in it. And in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he told us what part we have to play in it. He told us how we're more transformed. He said, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, also known as our sin nature. For the flesh, our sin nature, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who now resides within us. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Listen, as a Paul's saying, as a follower of Christ, you still have a sin nature. But God's spirit now resides in you and is always leading you to follow Jesus, is always leading you to glorify God through those internal promptings and convictions and stirrings. And if you choose to walk in the spirit and follow Jesus, you'll stop feeding 
the sin nature. And what you stop feeding slowly dies. Following Jesus at times, it feels like a conflict inside, doesn't it? It feels like a battle between our sin nature, our flesh, ourselves, and our new self. And the way that we conquer the desires and the wants and the brokenness of our sin nature is by surrendering to who God says we are. Surrendering to how the Holy Spirit is prompting us to follow Jesus. And when we do that, Jesus, through the power of his spirit, transforms us more into everything God's created us to be today. So for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, for those of you who have asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, the question that you and I should not be asking ourselves every day is, who do I identify myself as? The question we should be asking every day is, according to the writers of Scripture, who does God say you are? However he identifies you, in the words of Paul that we discovered earlier in this series, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I want to quickly talk just real quick to young people, middle school, high school, college age. You, young people, you are not developed. Your brain is not developed. I know you think it is because you think you're the smartest people in the world. But your, your brain is not developed. And you are thinking and feeling so much every day because you have, I'm not saying this to be funny, I'm saying this because you have an underdeveloped brain that is in the process of being developed and yet you have these, um, these, these uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hormones, that's the thing. You have these hormones that are firing light speed through you every single day. And so listen, you are going to change the way that you think and feel and behave is going to be very different at 25 and at 35 and at 45 than it is today. The food that you like to eat will be different at 25 than it is today. This is why the percentage of people who struggle with gender identity significantly drops after the age of 25 significantly. And do you know why? It's because they're more developed. Their brain has become more developed. They're caught up with themselves. So young people, I just want to encourage you to stop trying to identify yourself based on all the thousands of emotions that you feel every day. And instead, just every day start asking God who he says you are. And then surrender. 
Because that's how you're more transformed to who he's created you to be. And listen, you want to be more transformed to who he's created you to be because that's where true life is found. That's where true joy is found. That's where true peace is found. That's where true freedom is found. And that's what you're all looking for, isn't it? One more thing, real quick, to parents. If you're a parent of a young person struggling with gender identity, I just want to encourage you. Just remember, they're developing. They're developing. And I don't know what to say perfectly, but as a parent, I know that one of my jobs is to help direct the eyes of my kids to finding their identity in Jesus instead of how they feel every day. And I would just have that be an encouragement to you. Listen, every kid at every age, like every age of their year of their life is like this huge phase. They're developing at such a rapid pace and things are changing in their life. And so they're going to feel and think. And t- so we actually, on our website, if you go to the resource section and the next gen part of it, we have a whole list of uh, books on there about the different phases that your kids are going through in every single age of their life from birth all the way through 18. I'd encourage you to get those books and read those books. This is going to help you understand how to walk with your kids more. And you need to know that your kids, like, we have environments for them and people who want to love them and walk with them as they're navigating all of this stuff. And just so you know as well, our next gen team is always available to talk to you, to walk with you, to help you as well. I told you, our primary goal, my primary goal in this series is not that we agree on everything. My prayer is that we become a church that's more united in loving one another just as Christ first loved us. United in our commitment to spur one another on toward following Jesus together. And in regard to this polarizing issue, I can't possibly answer every question for how that looks. And honestly, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know it will require all of us. Regardless, you know, if, if you agree or disagree with what I said today was biblical truth, regardless if you struggle with gender identity or not, it will require all of us stop taking our stand by our right position away from one another when you disagree with me, talking at one another, fighting with one another, demanding things from one another, because that does nothing but create a me against you culture. It does nothing but create division. And God cannot be glorified when his church is polarized from one another or from people who don't know Jesus. What I also know is that it will require all of us choosing to stand, we talked about this all throughout the series, in the messy middle with one another. Fostering relationships defined by empathy, acceptance, compassion, humility, grace, and truth. Because that's how Christ first loved us. And I need that. You need that. A watching world needs that. People who struggle with gender identity need that because 40% of people who struggle with gender identity die by suicide because they feel alone. People who need to see and experience a real and tangible expression of the love of Christ need that. And is it hard? 
Oh, walking in the messy middle is so hard. But it's worth it. It's worth it because that's how God is glorified. And when God is glorified is when we experience the transforming work of Jesus in us and through us. Now that is a lot to process. So I want to close this week the same way, way we did last week. And I want to just take a few moments in quiet to allow you to reflect, to pray, to calm down, whatever it is that you feel like you need to do. And after a few moments, I'm just going to pray over us. And I'm at that time going to give the opportunity for those of you who are ready, who are ready to put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at that time. Let's take just a couple moments. Lord, I, I pray that we choose to find our identity in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Lord, I pray we are a church that chooses to surrender to that and to love one another as you first loved us even when we don't. Lord, for everyone that's never put their faith in you, Jesus, I pray that right now, either in this room or at home, wherever they're at, they just quietly, as they're sitting there, choose to do that. That this moment, they confess their need for a savior because they know their violation of sin broke their relationship with you, God. And right now, they declare, Jesus, they believe you are the savior, their savior, because of your death and resurrection. And at this moment, Jesus, I pray that they ask you to be their savior. That in this moment, they put their faith in you, Jesus, asking you to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, their Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.